Welcome to the Why on Earth Communities Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series. Today, I am so excited that we have the opportunity to visit with Courtney Cosgriff. Hi, Courtney. Hi. How are you today? I'm doing really good. Happy to be here. Excellent. We're so happy you're here with us. Yeah. <laughs> Courtney has a very interesting background, and we're basically going to be talking today a lot about honeybees. And Courtney is a beekeeper. She is also a CN, a certified nutritionist, a CCH, a certified clinical herbalist, and she is a member of the College of the Melissae, which we'll be talking about. Now, Courtney is bringing to us today a conversation about some of the deeper and more sacred aspects of our relationships with honeybees. And before diving into that, Courtney, and asking you uh, how you got started <laughs> with all of this, I just want to mention that we are in the greenhouse of Alpine Botanicals mm -hmm. in Nederland, Colorado, where Courtney works. And um, it is such a joy. It's about 20 something degrees outside. Yeah. <laughs> and it's actually pretty toasty in here in the greenhouse. 70 so degrees in here. We've got yeah. plants and flowers with us mm -hmm. and it's just a lot of fun. So we wanted to give a quick shout out to Alpine Botanicals, which is alpinebotanicals.com if you'd like to see some of uh, the amazing products and get some for yourself that uh, these folks are creating. Now, Courtney is also the founder of Honey Bee Herbals, and you're going to find some amazing products and great resources at honeybeeherbals.co. So I encourage you to check that out. We'll talk about that some more as well. Uh, so before diving into this <laughs> amazing uh, treasure trove of knowledge and wisdom that yeah. we're going to hear about from you, Courtney, I'm really excited for you to share with our audience how, how you got started with all of this. What happened? <laughs> uh, well, Erin, it's kind of, it's a, it's a wild story. I'll just put it that way. So I got into honeybees through two near-death experiences, actually. Near-death experiences. Near-death experiences. Wow. So I'll, I'll elaborate on this. Um, so yeah, it started, I was, uh, when I was 18 years old, uh, me and my best friend were traveling out to Oregon. Mm. And we were driving out there and in Idaho, she fell asleep at the wheel and mm. we got into a pretty bad car accident, uh, flipping the car about like two to three times in the air. I was asleep in the passenger seat, uh, basically woke up with the car upside down. Um, mm. Mm. And obviously that was one of the scariest experiences of my life. Luckily, uh, it was the middle of the night in Idaho on the freeway, but uh, a military man was actually driving by and had saw the accident mm. and stopped and basically pulled us out of the car. Um, mm. But neither of us had a scratch, not a bruise, no injuries. The car was obviously totaled, but other than that, we were fine. And mm. in that moment, I just remember coming outside the car and just looking up at the stars and it was just a beautiful starry sky. Mm. And I just felt something deep within, deep within inside that just told me to keep traveling for some reason. Mm. And I just listened to that voice and ended up, I spent all of the last bit of money I had on a plane ticket to Oregon. We were traveling out to Oregon at the time to go to a music festival um, out, outside of Portland. And so yeah, I spent all my money on a plane ticket to Oregon. And when I got into Oregon, I uh, obviously had to hitchhike to the area where the festival was. And along the way, I met a gentleman who worked for a beekeeper. I was getting off the light rail in Portland and uh, he had this like briefcase with some bees painted on it. And he was like, hey, like stopped me. And he's like, hey, you want to talk about bees for a little bit? And I was like, oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and he was selling some honeybee products like propolis and bee pollen and different things. And yeah, I just remember that was kind of my first introduction to honeybees and beekeeping and uh, apotherapy. And it was just really interesting. And he had like these informational handouts talking about like the historical uses of propolis and talking about like ancient Egypt and ancient Greece and hmm. from there I was just like kind of really fascinated because I've always been fascinated um, with the with the history and uh, mythology around those civilizations and yeah so I ended up uh, going to the festival and having an amazing time uh, connecting with a lot of amazing people and came back to Colorado and not two, three weeks later, I got into another car accident Amazing. where I was driving uh, my dad's truck up in Vail, Colorado or outside Vail and a wasp flew in my eye and just caused me to go off the road wow. and kind of a similar accident. And 
I came out without a scratch. Unfortunately, I totaled that truck, which was really hard because my dad uh, owns like a lawn care business and oh, that was man. his work truck. And it was, it was definitely like a hard experience to do that. Um, but I'm really grateful that we came out of it and everything, you know, is, you know, to this day still great. And, hmm. but yeah, I mean, and it's really interesting. Some people might ask like, what does wasp have to do with honeybees? And honeybees and wasps actually have a pretty interesting relationship. And I've experienced this like at, through my years working with bees. Wasps are actually carnivorous and they'll actually like, if a, if a hive is weak, they'll actually go in and rob out the hive and eat the bees. They're carnivorous, they'll eat bees. So it's kind of this weird, interesting relationship between those two insects. Mm. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of like, just ties that in. And then after that experience, the honeybees just kept showing up. I would be out at restaurants, out on patios, and honeybees would just be flying around my glass and flying around me, and I just started to see them like everywhere. And it took some time for me to kind of acknowledge that these were signs, and it took me sitting down with a good friend telling him, you know, these different experiences that I was having. And he was like, I think you're being called to mm, work with honeybees. Mm. I think you should listen to this. And I did. <laughs> and it, it was a long journey. I ended up actually going back to Oregon to meet the beekeeper that the first gentleman I uh, met worked for. So I, I met him and, you know, studied with him for a little bit, learned from him for a little bit. Uh, he ended up not being like the mentor I think I was supposed to learn from though. Mm. He definitely introduced me to the world, but um, I knew that his way of working with bees probably wasn't the way that I was supposed to work with bees. Mm. So it took a long journey actually for me. Um, so this all started, yeah, when I was 18, 19 years old and it took it took a few years for me to really find some mentors that I resonated with. Mm -hmm. And this is, you know, I think something that a lot of people, well, the, the dominant paradigm of beekeeping here in the United States is actually highly unsustainable and mm -hmm. highly unethical and really, really fails to, to acknowledge the sacredness of the honeybee and mm. enter a symbiotic relationship with them, honoring their true nature, their biology, all of those different things. And so it took some time, you know, going, you know, going to different beekeeping meetings, bee clubs, and I was, you know, this young girl around a bunch of, you know, older guys in their 50s and 60s, and the way they just talked about working with the bees just really didn't resonate with me. My intuition just kept telling me, like, this is not, this isn't the way. And so it was discouraging for a bit because I was, oh, I just like, I really want to do this. I really want to do this, but nothing, none of this is resonating. And then I went to a honey festival in uh, Denver. And I was walking around the festival and there was this woman and she was actually wearing a shirt just like I'm wearing right here because this is, they made this. Um, cool. And it had the bee with the flower of life on it. And I was like, you. <laughs> I was like, I'm supposed to study with you. And um, her name is Karen and her and Corwin Bell started Backyard Hive. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can go to their website, backyardhive.com. They are amazing. They're based in uh, El Dorado Springs, uh, <laughs> Colorado. And they're just there's some natural beekeepers. They mainly work with top bar hives and they kind of uh, came up with this like bee guardian method, which is just a more natural way of working with bees that really seeks to honor the true nature of the honeybee. So I was so thrilled when I started working with them and mentoring and just like, well, um, apprenticing with them just because I feel like I had finally found my teachers and a way to learn and grow in uh, my path of working with bees and being a beekeeper. So I apprenticed with Corwin for about like four or five years. I still go back and work with him all the time. And mm -hmm. just because I, I think if there's one thing I've always like I've learned with this path is, you know, I think I'll spend my whole life, you know, studying the honeybee mm -hmm. and still maybe only understand a fraction because they're just such mysterious beings and they have so much to teach us. And I just think there's such value in learning from so many different perspectives in the beekeeping world and mm. that's why I'm always seeking out to learn from other people which is why where I'm currently studying is the College of the Melissa which is based in Ashland Oregon and it's really more of a mystery school and center for sacred beekeeping mm -hmm. centered around studying um, the mythology the folklore and the history of um, more sacred traditions of working with bees, particularly uh, the Melissa, uh, who were bee priestesses who came out of the Minoan culture and uh, got kind of got absorbed into ancient Greece, but also looking at ancient Egypt and there's some beautiful mythology in India. So it's it's really been cool to kind of dive into that aspect of beekeeping, which is something I'm really fascinated with, is more of the cultural um, meaning and symbolism behind it. So I'm currently studying there. Um, I also 
I'm a certified clinical herbalist and nutritionist, so mm -hmm. I have my own private practice where I work one-on-one -on -one with individuals. It's kind of what I went to like official school for was uh, more natural medicine just because I love you know helping people and being a messenger for the plants to do their healing work and others. So that's what I do um, kind of as a career on top of beekeeping. And then I also, yeah, just you know started my business, Honeybee Herbals, and launched my website this year. And it's just, great. Just diving in. It's a beautiful website. Yeah, <laughs> so honeybeeherbals.co. Gorgeous website. <laughs> well, there's so much in here. I, I, I can't wait to ask you a few follow-on questions. Mm -hmm. And just, just to start, you know, I um, also have worked with Corwin and, and Karen. And, mm -hmm. and Corwin is the uh, person I learned from when I first started keeping bees. And uh, the person I also learned from to... Um, harvest or uh, capture, you could say, a swarm yeah. that's moving around the neighborhood. And that's such an interesting art. It's such an interesting time to literally be able to, with your bare hands, touch mm -hmm. uh, hundreds, thousands of bees and feel their vibrations and the heat coming off and uh, to help bring them to a great home. Yeah. Others in the network of bee guardians who are taking good care of these honeybees mm -hmm. in a time when they really need our help. Mm -hmm. And there's so much going on. We'll, we'll get to that. Mm -hmm. um, that that we really uh, m more and more of us are needed to help take good care of the bees and the other pollinators. Um, now, I also want to mention that you are an educator as well, mm -hmm. and you you do a lot of your educating through an organization called the Grow House, mm -hmm. which is one in one of the uh, low income communities in the Denver area. And they're doing amazing work with yeah. food, thriving, sustainability, and uh, you're working there with folks of all ages, mm -hmm. including doing a lot with the youth. And uh, tell us a bit about what's happening with Grow House and yeah. how, how you're serving there. I mean, I'd love to talk about the Grow House because I think they've been a huge just inspiration in my journey, and I'm just so grateful that that place exists. Um, so I basically, I was hired as their resident beekeeper in December of 2016. So managing their hives, they have um, just a few hives. We only have one right now looking to get a few more. Mm. But um, yeah, and so I manage their hives, but I'm also an educator there. So I do a lot of guest teaching in um, their education programs. So there's primarily three that I guest teach in. One is called Bees, uh, B-E-E-S. It's mm. pretty appropriate. Budding early experiences, and that one's geared towards the like little ones, ages four to 10. And they just learn about gardening, they learn about permaculture, stewardship, mm. really getting their hands dirty, making things. They were uh, really excited. We're probably going to be doing uh, making an insect hotel as their final project oh, cool. this summer, which I'm super excited about. That's awesome. And yeah, so there's that program. There's the Seed to Seed, which is geared towards high school kids, mm -hmm. kind of teaching the same principles, same concepts. And then also Micro Farm, which is geared towards the adults in the community. Mm. And that's really fun. So I just, I love, I love teaching in the community there. And it's just such a vibrant, wonderful place that's doing such amazing things. Please go check it out, thegrowhouse.org. Yeah. They have a beautiful event on March 23rd. It's their seed swap. It's their biggest event. And it's just so much fun. So if you're in the Denver area around them, I'd highly recommend going. And yeah. By the way, the Why on Earth community, it looks like, may be there on that Yay! event too. So I'll be there too. Be fun. Be <laughs> I'll be teaching a class and selling and some products. Apparently, hundreds of people come to that event. It gets it, about 800 yeah, to 1,000 people a every really, year. Really it's really amazing. And it's just so much fun. There's music, there's dancing, there's food. It's it's mm. just great mm. so yeah the grow house is really it's really shaped my life and really given me a different view on like activism and really giving me a place to like give back so honeybee herbals offers because of the grow house through my business i offer nonprofit education so focusing on you know i work with another organization called plant the seed i'll be working with them this summer so just different organizations that are geared towards you know educating the youth or um and just i do that in a nonprofit way just because i want to get mm -hmm. the information out there it's so important uh so that's really exciting and yeah so check out the grow house and everything that they're doing they're definitely an exemplary model of what needs to exist in these communities um, that are just underserved so if you're searching for Grow House, it's, it's spelled G-R-O-W-H-A-U-S, the German spelling of house. And is it .org? .org, yes. Yeah, growhouse.org. Mm -hmm. So, okay, you're, <laughs> you're a student 
at the College of the Melissae, but really we could say you're an initiate in, in mm-hmm. what is a, an esoteric mystery school or lineage or practice. Mm-hmm. And I am so curious to hear, what, what does that mean? What, I, I imagine you guys are, are doing much more than just technical beekeeping stuff. No, no, not at all. I mean, that's definitely a part of it. And I think one, one thing that <coughs> I really was drawn to with this school and with really like all everywhere I've studied is that bridging of science and spirituality mm. and just understanding, you know, that those two worlds, they need to come together. So yes. we do study beekeeping, you know, basics and science and, you know, honeybee myth, uh, biology and stuff like that and honeybee health. But um, I'll just share this one quote by Lane Redmond, who wrote the book When the Drummers Were Women. And we go back and reference her work a lot. Basically, she just says, in revisioning the past, we envision the future. And I think that is a big part of what is being done at the College of the Melissa. And I'm still, I mean, I'm still in the very beginning and still grasping, you know, this experience of studying there. And it's already reshaping so much of what I thought I knew. And... Really, yeah. So we we study like the you know ancient traditions of keep uh, working with honeybees because it really goes back pretty far. Um, so you have the Minoan cultures, which on the island of Crete, which um, were pre ancient Greece, and they were actually uh, an apicultural society. What, so what does that mean? Tell us what that word means. They really just they centered around the bees, and yeah. the bees were a big symbol for their spirituality, their temples. Um, their main goddess, the mother goddess, was a bee, and mm-hmm. um, that's where the Melissae come from. Um, so the Melissae were later absorbed into ancient Greece, and they were the bee priestesses, um, mm-hmm. and they they served. They were basically they were oracles, and they. Yeah, they served a lot of the most brilliant minds in Greece. You know, a lot of those brilliant minds would go on these vision quests with the Melissae, and mm-hmm. they would usually take part in, you know, eating some sort of psychedelic honey or something mm-hmm. like that. And mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's a very, it's very rich and deep, and I'm definitely still grasping and understanding it, um, that whole area. But the Mediterranean cultures around that time period, around like 3000 BC, were very like centered around honeybees. Mm-hmm. And the honeybees were very potent symbols in those civilizations, not only for, you know, building systems or like, um, but also like temples and yeah. stuff like that. A lot of the temples were kind of uh, based off of like the, the idea of the hive and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And in ancient Egypt too, which is really cool. I, I mean, in that whole year when all that, those car accidents were happening. When I was 19 years old, I actually went to Egypt on my own and got to see, you know, the honeybee symbols like in flesh, you know, on the temple of Karnak, there's bees everywhere on these pillars and seeing different hieroglyphs like with bees, you know, depicting beekeeping. That's near Luxor? Yeah, it's near Luxor, the temple of Karnak. Really cool place. Mm -hmm. So in ancient Egypt, there's also such a rich history of beekeeping. They were, uh, beekeeping is one of the really big uh, lasting achievements, I think, of ancient Egypt Mm. because they were one of the civilizations to really, you know, come up with like the idea of you more like a more agricultural society growing you know more food for mm-hmm. more people and they discovered you know that you know honeybees are really good pollinators and they would actually like move their hives to different gardens and it's pretty cool and they yeah so uh, Neith uh, which is an Egyptian goddess she's actually you know kind of like the origin goddess or the the, the mother goddess mm-hmm. in Egyptian mythology that all the other gods and goddesses come from mm-hmm. and she is associated with the bee. So in some of the early myths and stories, she flies off in the form of a bee. And mm. her temple, or the House of Neith, was also called the Temple of the Bee. And it was actually, what was really cool to me, just to, you know, being an herbalist and working in the health world, is uh, it was an education or medical college that mostly women uh, ran, and they focused a lot on, like, you know, birthing and women's health and stuff like that. And I think that's just really, really cool and just like a beautiful symbol for, you know, and that ties in in a lot of different um, cultures. The honeybee is a really potent symbol for the divine feminine. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, you know, in these ancient civilizations, the mother goddess was really, or some of like Artemis is really a lot of, you know, some of our most famous goddesses were really, had a really deep connection with honeybees. And the honeybee symbol shows up um, in their, their myths and stories a lot. So it's pretty cool. It's rich. It's diverse. I'm. I have so much to learn and absorb. Mm. And I think I, if there's one thing I'm learning through the the school 
of the Melissae is more so just to observe and interact with the bees. And mm. that's really what we're here to do is, you know, form our own experiences mm. based off of, you know, what we observe and pick up on through working with these very sacred, magical creatures. <laughs> it's so beautiful. You know, there, there's so much continuity coming to us, to our modern culture from these classical and even pre-classical cultures. Mm -hmm. And for some of our audience, it may sound like we're, we're really discussing some quite esoteric uh, subject matter that mm -hmm. may or may not immediately relate. Now, I think it's important to spend a little more time on why this might be so essential in these times, living in the Anthropocene, where we humans are having such dramatic impacts on the earth, on mm. ecosystems, on pollinators, etc. And there, there are some really interesting things to unpack, one of which is the, 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 the famous, or might say infamous, philosopher Nietzsche, and later Carl Jung, uh, who did a lot with Nietzsche's work, have been unpacking pre-classical Mediterranean cultural mm -hmm. legacy and have realized Nietzsche in his, in his first major work, The Birth of Tragedy, went back to uh, pre-Hellenic Greek culture, which is essentially Minoan, Cretan, and other mm -hmm. cultures around that area, to discover that in our, in our deep mythos, we actually have a much better balance between divine feminine, divine masculine, these different forces that are at work mm -hmm. on our planet. Mm -hmm. And that one of our great jobs now, one of our great projects and works now is to rediscover and reestablish that balance. And that might sound a bit abstract. Yeah. It's showing up in our social realms in very interesting mm -hmm. ways right now. And most importantly, we might say, it's showing up in our ecological relationships. And look, we, we live on a beautiful spaceship. We all share <laughs> it, this planet Earth. It's so well engineered, no one needs to worry about the engineering unless we knock it so far out of balance that suddenly we have to do work to restore that balance. Yeah. This is such a beautiful place. And we have really disrupted at a, at a magnificent scale uh, so that now our main job in the 21st century is to help heal and restore. Mm. And of course, that's a big part of the Why on Earth community's work and why we're uh, interfacing with folks like yourself, mm -hmm. Courtney. And uh, anyway, I think that for many of us, digging a little more into that history and that prehistory is actually really important to the foundation of how we got to where we are today. Yeah, I think it, I think it gives context to mm -hmm. the experiences. And I think in, and that's, I think in honoring and studying, you know, past cultures and these histories and it's, we're, I mean, we're honoring, you know, our ancestors by doing yes. that. And it's super, super important that that information doesn't get lost. I mean, I think about like the, the burning of the library of Alexandria yeah. and like how, how like we just, all of that just sacred information and knowledge mm. just lost. Mm. And I think, you know, we really have a duty here right now. And I certainly feel this calling to, you know, reawaken that knowledge and mm. don't let it go away because that's who we are and our connection to the earth and the animals and the plants and the soil and the air and the water i mean that is that is who we are we are a part of that and in in revisioning and then reading looking at these past cultures we we get a little bit more context and meaning to what we are supposed to be doing and to these connections to the earth and how how we return return to that reverence mm, mm, beautiful mm -hmm. yeah so beautiful and so important and you know the image of the beehive persists in a variety of oh. esoteric and spiritual uh communities throughout the planet as mm -hmm. a symbol of what it means to be working in harmony together with mm -hmm. with love and with mutual respect and a sense of uh, a greater purpose, right? Mm -hmm. One of the things that Hive, I think, symbolizes for so many of us is that the super organism of that community mm. is way more important than any one of the individuals. Exactly. Right? And I think I like what you just said, because this is this is one thing I always try and tell people, you know, in my beekeeping education is, you know, a hive is not a box of insects. <laughs> It's one being. It's yeah. this beautiful super organism. And when you look at the swarming and the queen and the reproduction of the hive, it's constantly regenerating itself. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's this beautiful cycle that just keeps going and going and going and going and going. 
And, you know, one of my favorite, when I fell in love with the honeybee, I fell in love with the world because I feel like when I started working with bees, I just started to like, they teach us this beautiful, how interconnected life is Mm. and just their relationship with plants and flowers and the medicines they create, you know, and just, they're just absolutely amazing. Yeah. The inner workings of the hive and, you know, they are a potent symbol for, um, I think one thing that I resonate with so much is sacred service mm. as you mm, know, yes. a, a, we, I, there's this beautiful sentence that I learned, you know, through my studies of the college of the Melissa that, um, my, my mentor, Laura said uh, that I was reading that it was, I think it was, you know, honeybees rec- represent sacred service as like a beauty path. And, uh, they are, they're such symbols of beauty and love. You know, when you look at their relationship with flowers, especially I mean, anyone who sees a honeybee pollinating a flower, you feel that, yeah. that love there's, that's just, that's yeah. just what you feel. You see love and you see beauty. And yeah, I just think that they have so much to teach us, but I really, you know, how they just like selflessly, you know, in the whole hive, you know, re- re- there's no like individual bee, you know, it is one being mm. that, you know, works together in this beautiful collective intelligence to facilitate life on earth mm. you know we we wouldn't have the nourishing foods we would we have you know the medicine that they provide and not just in in the physical world but also you know the the spiritual wisdom that they give us and what they teach us is is just so so powerful and so rich and i think they're some of the greatest teachers on mm. this planet mm. it's so beautiful mm-hmm. you know I'm, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking about we we can recall these these almost monolithic figures from mm-hmm. Greek culture. I'm thinking Pythagoras, Hippocrates, mm. Socrates and Plato, and of course Aristotle and Alexander the Great, that whole <laughs> lineage, those four yeah. guys. And to imagine that those men were deeply steeped in the culture of the Melissae and that there, there's this whole other aspect to that history and that yeah. story that most of us probably haven't seen or heard of and how important is it for us to really reclaim and re-see what was going on? Mm-hmm. And it, not to get into gender stereotypes or gender mm-hmm. roles, but it's interesting. In the hive, most of the bees are female. Yeah. And then there are these male drones, the drones that yeah. strangely act like, like bards of, of yore going they're the ones who are allowed to go between hives and visit different hives yeah and are allowed in they kind of trade information they're almost like traveling <laughs> news news uh, guys or something right and and that's so interesting it's as if what we're remembering from greek culture is only the drone part of the story <sighs> and there's I the love, whole hive yes, part of the story totally. that, that it allows that to happen and that's so much of what we we were you know learning at the college of the melissa at least what i've you know been learning is that the herstory Mm, yes you know yes. that's that has been Good. lost in so much of you know our you know divine feminine and goddess cultures and mother worshiping cultures you know have been suppressed or misunderstood and that's just you know because who writes history yeah <laughs> uh, you know right. i mean not to like you know you know throw any prejudice but it's it's white men from academia right. and so so how much of that information is getting lost and I just, and I'm still totally understanding this, so, but I, I really, you know, and I think a lot of, um, at the College of Melissa, just this belief that maybe the, the Melissa were just like this, like, secret thing, you know, behind the scenes, this, like, uh, collective of, of women, of bee priestesses that were just holding such sacred information and, mm. and really inspiring, I think, these men mm-hmm. in, in such deep ways and taking them on these deep vision quests and what does that even mean? And, you know, you think about what came from ancient Greece, democracy, mm. you know, think about Hippocrates in medicine and yeah. healing and how much of our, you know, core ethics uh, in healthcare and in, um, yeah, and just that realm come from ancient Greece. Right. Like the Hippocratic Oath. And how right? much, you know, and then so just like, you know, you can really go down to the rabbit hole with this, and I mm. certainly have, mm. and I'm exploring maybe how much of, you know, some of these really concrete, you know, concepts and things in our, our modern society today might actually be inspired by these bee priestesses. Mm-hmm. So it's so beautiful. You know, I, I want to. I'm just thinking about some of our audience, right? And I have so many friends and family who mm-hmm. are, you know, practicing Catholics, Christians, Muslims, mm. and these these Abrahamic traditions, which it turns out uh include some something like half or a little more than half of our global population Mm -hmm. 
we, we have such a deep tradition going back to the, the Hebrew roots. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things, this is reminding me of a story. This is why I'm mentioning this. Uh, I want to tell a story, but one of the things in the, in the creation story of Genesis in mm-hmm. Hebrew, when what we say God is creating the world, it's the Elohim, mm-hmm. right? And this is a, a group of gods or aspects of God that have different genders. Mm-hmm. This isn't a single male entity. And that's in our Old Testament roots, yeah. Elohim, right? So, because I'm thinking of this funny story. I remember hearing a story about a missionary visiting a tribe here in North America. Mm-hmm. And this medicine man, after getting to know the missionary for months and months, they became friends. And the missionary said, hey, why aren't you uh, joining in our mm-hmm. Christian r- ritual? Yeah. And why don't you like what we're doing? And the medicine man that says, oh, no, no, I very much like what you are doing, but you only have half a religion. Mm. And we too worship the loving Father in heaven, Mm -hmm. in the sky, and we have a relationship with Mother Earth. Mm. And it's the balance of the two that allows us humans to live in harmony on this planet. Now, in some of our Christian realms, we'll see a whole lot of the feminine emerging with Mary Mm -hmm. and that's very strong in certain parts of the world, especially Latin America. Yes. But I just, I think we're, it's time right now for this conversation to cross dogmatic barriers and look at the reality of the situation in which we find ourselves where we have been given this amazing creation, this living planet, Mm -hmm. and we may not have permission to stay here much longer (laughs) unless we change our our behavior. Yeah, no, we we are, the time clock is running out and it's scary and it's, it's really disheartening and to just, you know, skate back to the honeybees and I think so much of what is happening with our honeybees right now mm-hmm. is just they are showing us what we need to see and they are telling us we, what we need to hear and we yeah. have to start listening yeah. like we have to and yeah. you know so many people you know you have colony collapse disorder yeah. and there's so many different you know reasons and the, you know the the reasons that call honeybees are declining is multifactorial it's so many different things but it comes down to our disconnection from nature. Yes. We have disconnected ourselves from the natural world. And more importantly, what is happening with our honeybees is we are manipulating nature. We are manipulating, you know, the biology and the intelligence of nature to further serve, you know, and cater to this like mass consumerism, you know, and, you know, mass production, you know, and that is, that is the core of it. Yeah. That is the core of it, and we have to we have to take a step back and really like look at this because it's really it's it's heartbreaking to see what is happening to the honeybees yeah. right now, and I think we have to understand you know that especially in the United States we've built an agricultural system dependent upon the honeybee, yeah. and you know because people are so disconnected and not everybody but a majority of the population is disconnected from their food, they're disconnected from the soil, the right. water. And because of that, you know, that's, it's, we're dependent on commercial agriculture. And that system is destructive in so many different ways. It's not just poisoning our air and our water and all of our pollinators, all of our pollinators are, you know, we are experiencing an insect, you know, apocalypse right now. And you talked, we took in your previous podcast, you know, you guys talked about this, you know, the insects are like the foundation. And if they start to go, like that is going to affect the great web of life. And that is what we are seeing. And, you know, the honeybees in particular, it's just really sad, you know, mm-hmm. to see how much of, you know, these, these creatures are so, so intelligent yeah. and just the, and just brilliant and sacred. And, you know, the work that they do on this planet is so sacred and yeah. that is being exploited right. in such a big way. You know, the, the medicines of the hive are exploited in big ways and that is not okay and it's we really need to take a step back and we need to return to a state of reverence with these beings but we also need to take action and how we take action is we put our money where our mouth is and we support regenerative and organic agriculture we grow our own food we support those movements we be a voice use your voice that is one of the most powerful things you can do and it's something that i've had to come to a long journey with of finding my voice and speaking my truth on this matter because I feel like that is why I'm here is mm. to speak for the honeybees because they can't speak for themselves yeah. right now. Yeah. 
Beautiful, beautiful. In in the book Why on Earth, uh, I talk about uh, how powerful our consumer demand is mm -hmm. as a signaling out into the world to take care of the bees, to take care of the soil, the mm -hmm. water, with each and every organic food purchase. And it may be not all of our food is organic, but yeah. if each of us is doing more organic, the way that tips the scales in those supply Amazing. chains is absolutely transformational. You could even think of it as being alchemical. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is so important. And one of the five things we have to do is stop poisoning our world. We just have to stop ourselves, our bodies, our bathrooms, our kitchens, our waterways, our fields, our yards. We have to stop poisoning now. Yeah. It's that simple. Mm -hmm. And we can each uh, choose that right now. Yeah. We have to stop we have poisoning. To. We absolutely have to. I think it's just we don't really have any more time yeah. to, to be, you know, avoiding it. There's no avoiding it. <laughs> I love one of my mentors uh, would say, we have just enough time and we have to act. <laughs> but you now. have to have hope too. Yeah, totally. And I think, I think that's really important. And I think, you know, I've definitely gone through deep stages, mm. stages of just despair and depression around it. And I think it's really easy. And I love to say, you know, so much of activism is what we are against in this world. And mm -hmm. while I agree mm -hmm. that we must combat, you know, these paradigm, paradigms that only bring about destruction and disempowerment, I also believe that activism is about what we love. It's what we want to mm -hmm. create. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in Honey Bee Herbals, I believe like we focus on, you know, love and connection and envisioning a world where space is held for all beings to thrive. Yeah. And that includes the honeybees, that includes the pollinators, because really like when you focus on, you know, this, this bigger vision of just, you know, caring for all beings, then, it's just, it ripples, and that's yeah. the beauty of the interconnectedness of life, is through supporting pollinators, you support all these other beings, and yeah. plants, oh my gosh, plants, yeah. and it's just, yeah, so let's let's focus on what we want to create. Absolutely. So, you know, here's mm -hmm. here's the problem, but like, what does the solution look like? So like, yeah. let your creative inspiration and imagination like drive that. I absolutely love that. <laughs> let me, um, just make the mention that this is the why on earth communities stewardship and sustainability podcast series and today i'm visiting with courtney cosgriff who is the founder of honeybee herbals and you can find amazing resources and products on the website honeybeeherbals.co uh, speaking of relationships and <laughs> ecosystems i also want to thank our sponsors of the podcast mm. uh, this includes earth coast productions Waylay Waters, Purium, the Association of Waldorf Schools of North America, and the International Institute of Sustainability Professionals. Um, now, you can use the code word Why on Earth, all one word, to get discounts with many of those sponsors, to get discounts at the honeybeeherbals.co website and to get discounts at the Why on Earth uh, community marketplace where we have ebooks, audiobooks, all kinds of soil resources, etc. And while mentioning books, I want to share, I'm so excited that uh, <laughs> I'm so excited many of you <laughs> are probably aware um, that we have already published our first children's book, which is called Celebrating Soil. And this is with the amazing artwork, original artwork of Yvonne Kozlina, and in just a little while, <laughs> we're going to have the next children's book out, which is called Celebrating Honeybees. And this is, I'm holding the original uh, artwork that Yvonne created for the cover. If you can see this, I'll zoom in a little. All right. And then um, Courtney and I picked out one of the additional uh, pieces that will be in the book that we thought would be fun to share with you all, which is right here. And those of you that are <laughs> tuning in via uh, podcast and only getting audio check out we'll have a lot of the resources whyonearth.org you can also view the video there as well and um, I think uh, I also want to mention speaking of what we can do uh, the why on earth community is hosting a three-day summit May 17th through 19th we're doing this in the year 2019 and it is massively mobilizing sustainability, deep leadership for the 21st century for three core audiences, executives, educators, and entrepreneurs. 
you are going to have an amazing experience gathering all kinds of knowledge and wisdom that you can take back to your communities, to your companies, to your schools mm. to help further deploy the stewardship and regeneration actions that are needed right now in these times. So uh, stay tuned for additional information coming out on massively mobilizing sustainability. And uh, that date, May 17th through 19th, comes just before May 20th, which is World Bee Day. <laughs> and um, I, I can't wait to chat just a bit about our connection with Slovenia. And there's such a, a magical piece there. I think that's really when we first met, how, yeah. w how we got so excited mm -hmm. about connecting with each other. Yeah. Um, so you've traveled in Slovenia, Courtney. Tell, tell me, what was that like? Okay, so yeah, I mean, so me and my uh, two best friends went on a beautiful backpacking trip through Europe this past summer. And we, uh, Slovenia ended up being one of the countries that we explored. And I knew that like there was a... a rich tradition of beekeeping in that area of the world, but I had no idea like the magnitude and depth of it. And I just remember like taking the train and the minute we entered that country, I mean, you just know that like feeling, you're just like, this place is, this place is special. Mm. And I knew that, it, I knew yeah. in that moment that this place was gonna play a part in my journey. And yeah, and I, it just came to unfold through my time there like, whoa, like I just started to see the honeybee everywhere. And um, just through talking with, you know, Slovenians, I was like, oh my gosh, they were telling me, you know, that every, virtually every household has a beekeeper. And there was just like honey stores everywhere and just the honeybee was just everywhere. And uh, I ended up getting going to an apicultural museum just outside of Lake Bled um, mm. in the town, I, which I'm going to completely butcher the name, so I'm just not even going <laughs> to say it. Uh, <laughs> but I was just uh, utterly, I'd never seen just so many like, be just memorabilia and artifacts and information. There was an exhibit where you could go in and hear the sounds of a queen bee and I like literally just came out and like just tears. It was just such a cool experience. I spent hours in that museum and got this little book that was called Beekeeper at Heart, which is uh, the story about Anton Jansa who uh, was basically like kind of like the hero for Slovenian beekeepers. He was a big pioneer in beekeeping and bee lover and he helped, you know, um, discover a lot of, you know, the concepts and uh, things that we work with with honeybees today and understandings of, you know, working with bees and beekeeping. And his birthday is May 20th, and that's actually the day of World Bee Day. So Slovenia, Worldwide, yeah. Yeah, so, so we, the reason we have World Bee Day is because of Slovenia yeah. and Slovenian beekeepers. And I think the one thing that just resonated with me so much about this country was it's a young country. Um, and it's just, it, it was extremely hum a humble country all around their capital, Ljubljana. Mm -hmm. They didn't have statues of uh, politicians or anything like that. They had statues of poets. Mm -hmm. And um, I just thought that was really, really cool. They're just a sweet, humble country that's in love with the honeybee. And you can see it in like the way that they honor poetry and art and nature yeah. and yeah, it's just a really, really beautiful, beautiful country with a huge, rich tradition of beekeeping, and I really look forward to exploring it more. I love Slovenia. So I, I think I may have shared a bit at the uh, in the introduction of the book Why on Earth that my my maternal grandmother is Slovenian, and I grew up in her kitchen mm -hmm. many many hours in her kitchen. And when I was able to visit Slovenia a number of years ago and notice that families, virtually every family has what you would call either a really big garden or, mm -hmm. a, or a small farm. Mm -hmm. And from two-year-old little kids all the way up to octogenarians and even people in their 90s are out there growing food together in mm -hmm. that family relationship and have that connection to land. And when I went to Slovenia, I had already studied permaculture and mm -hmm. was already quite deep in many of these stewardship and sustainability practices. And I thought, oh my gosh, <laughs> this whole country is essentially a permaculture yeah. country. And it's just beautiful. But they're so sweet and humble about yeah. it. Oh, you know totally. what I mean? Which is just like, we all like know how like, you know, some people can let that stuff get to their heads. And I think that's just, you just can't because this is who we are as yeah. humans. Yeah. Like, I think... If anything, you know, yeah, and that's just like I think what I love so much about it. It's, it's just their way of life, and it's like, yeah, yeah, that's all of our way of life. Right. It's just living with the earth in that way, and it, and I just think it's really, really cool. And and look, these weren't subsistence farmers. These were software engineers. These were yeah. folks running uh, 
beautiful manufacturing operations that were shipping gorgeous cabinetry all around the world. Mm -hmm. These are educators and professors Not and so all kinds of professionals who are engaging growing food with their families. And we can do all these things as we're transitioning into a sustainable framework in this culture. Mm -hmm. There are patterns out there, ancient patterns, modern patterns that we can really learn from and emulate in a way that works well. And uh, boy, we get to improve our quality of life while doing all this <laughs> yeah. too. It's a win-win. <laughs> yeah, we need that, you know, good nourishing organic food and it's, it's a big part of our health and our well-being and yeah. It's so true. <laughs> I, I, I want you to share too some of the insights you shared with me the other day about the honey itself as mm. alchemy and you know that that we also can use the metaphor of the honey tongue and there's a real rich connection there with honey and, and that bee medicine and I was hoping yeah. you would share that yeah. with us a bit Courtney. I mean I would be happy to because I think it's really important and this is one thing you know and talking about the exploitation of honeybee products because it is a really big issue right mm -hmm. now and I think I really try and advocate for a more sacred consumption of honey. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of reasonings behind that. One, in, in a lot of ancient civilizations and cultures around the world, you know, honey is revered as sacred. Don't get me wrong, it's also medicine, but mm -hmm. it's it's sacred. And the reasoning behind that is, which, what, what is honey? It, I mean, it's a sacred reflection of our landscape. Mm. I think more than anything, honeybee tell, or honey tells a love story, mm. a love mm. story between uh, honeys and uh, honeybees and flowers. Mm. And when you think about, you know, I like to think of the honeybees as nature's alchemists, and they mm. they travel from flower to flower, collecting collecting nectar or or collecting wisdom. You know, that could be a symbol for the honeybee as a wisdom keepers and um, givers. But yeah, they travel from flower to flower collecting nectar and then they come back to the hive and you know, through community and collective intelligence and alchemy, they create this substance that is utterly delicious. Mm. I mean, it's, it's so sweet. It's the nectar of the gods. I mean, mm. and there's also like so much mythology if you think about it, if you think about the story behind Zeus of you know, these, these gods that are you know, hidden in caves and uh, fed on a diet of honey, hmm. um, you know, that's where like milk and honey comes from. And it's just really interesting. So honey is a, a extremely sacred substance and it has always been seen as that. And I think we need to, we need to see it as that. And um, I think of when I eat honey, you know, even if it's just a tiny drop of my honey on my tongue, especially if it's my own honey, uh, um, that's a spiritual experience. Mm -hmm. It's, I feel extremely embodied in that moment and I feel extremely connected to my landscape and to the land that I'm living on and that's providing for me. And I think, yeah, the honey is just like the essence of sunshine. It's, mm. it's, it's utterly magical um, and I'm just, I really advocate. And there's so much work that the honeybees, you know, do to, to make that substance. So how can we return to a more sacred consumption and relationship with honeybee products and mm. especially honey um and i i think you know also like when uh rudolf steiner touches on this a little bit but you know how you know honey is a you know eating honey helps with like it just it helps to enlighten our soul and um connects us to the earth and yeah so into the sun into the sun and yeah. just focusing on yeah just a more sacred consumption of the substance one of my dear friends and mentors uh, has been a beekeeper in the uh, biodynamic tradition mm -hmm. from Steiner for a while. And he was sharing with me that we can think of the bees as they're moving through the landscape as being like living uh, crystals or prisms through their wings, that sunlight is being spread all over to all the plants and all the critters <laughs> that are so living cool. there. And it's like, wow. I've, seen, I've never thought of that. And that's just like what is so amazing about honeybees is they just have so many little droplets of wisdom mm. and sacredness. And I just, I feel like I will be exploring the, the, them for the rest of my life and yeah. still just continue to find little droplets. And I think just one thing that, you know, listening to the bees and sitting with mm. the bees mm. and I think when you work with bees, you really just start to really see nature and work with nature and like this, mm -hmm. this force, you know, that, you know, you know, facilitates all life. And, um, one really other cool, um, just like, you know, historical references in India. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a lot of cool, um, connections with honeybees and bees around the sound. And mm -hmm. so the, the, uh, 
the in in old Indian texts they associate the buzzing of bees with the celestial hum of creation, and there's a breathing practice called Brahmari Pranayama where you actually like make yourself sound like a bee and it's absolutely amazing and to be in a room with a bunch of other people doing that Pranayama yes. practice is so cool and yes. I think there's such power in the sound of the bees mm -hmm. and the buzz and the hum and how that is just like this unstruck sound of the universe. Mm. I've actually been in uh, some <laughs> circles where we'll have somebody in the middle and everybody else surrounding creating that sound mm. and it's just tremendous right? you just feel light and love vibrating throughout your whole body mm -hmm. it's amazing and i think you know and i think when you do that like when i've been in experiences where people are doing brahmari and it's like we're just like this hive mm -hmm. you know we're all working together but we're all like one being just buzzing yeah. together and there's such magic there and i think that also you know ties into how much the honeybees can inspire community mm, mm -hmm. beautiful Courtney well I um, am so grateful we had the opportunity to speak with you today yeah. and before closing I wanted to just share that you know that experience you had that you shared at the beginning of our discussion with the two car accidents these near-death experiences and then having these these bees showing up and it's like you were being called and you listened to mm -hmm. that call and I want to invite our audience you know we're probably all being called some of us maybe miss it sometimes or get get it hear it feel it experience that call and then just kind of let it go and get back to our busy lives or whatever it might be and courtney i think the fact that you have responded to this call the way you have is so important this is the network of leadership emerging all around our world and my hope is more of us will connect with what you're doing honeybeeherbals.co and we'll also feel the resonance of <laughs> your response to that sacred call and feel that invitation to respond even further ourselves in our own lives, wherever we might be. It's such an important time. Yes, it is. And I think also, you know, mine was an ex a dramatic <laughs> yeah. um, calling. <laughs> and I just, want, I just want everyone to know that you don't really have to have this dramatic experience right. yeah. to be called. It could be as simple as you're out one day in nature and you see maybe like a honeybee or you see a creature and you, you, something in your heart just lights up. That's a calling. Mm. And I think, you know, so I don't want my experience though to discourage anyone mm -hmm. also and think that like, oh, well, I didn't go through this like crazy two near-death experiences and all these mentors and signs came mm. into my life. Mm. So that's not my calling or I'm not being called. Um, I think we're being called every single day. Yeah. And I think we just have to listen. The earth is always calling out to us mm -hmm. with, you know, wisdom and um, we just have to listen. So that's Beautiful. just one thing I would just skirt on that is, mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't have to be this big dramatic thing. That's so beautiful. <laughs> well, listen, I am so happy you were able to join us. I have this little flag. We love the bees from my mom's Yay. garden. And uh, just wanted to give a shout out to her and to the Slovenian friends <laughs> and uh, friends all around the world who are engaging in this sacred stewardship and collaboration with bees. And uh, Courtney, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It was such a pleasure to have it was such a great conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous. Cool.